In your light, we may see light. In your truth, we find wisdom. And in your will, we discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me start with a question today. The question is, what is it that drives your life? What is it that drives your life? What is it that, that fuels your life, gives it forward momentum, propels it into tomorrow? Uh, Augustine, way back in the, the fourth century, uh, he was a, one of the greatest theologians through the history of the church uh, in northern Africa. And um, he came to his own conclusion, reading, reading the Bible, reading philosophers. I think it was, he was reading Cicero at the time, right? Of course he was. Um, and he was looking at his own life, and he concluded this. He came to the conclusion that we are fundamentally driven, shaped by not so much what we believe, although obviously we are, not so much what we think, not so much what we even do, although all these things are true, but more fundamentally, we are driven and shaped by what we love. Our loves propel us. For example, uh, you all know this is true, there are two types of gardeners in the world. The first type of gardener is the kind of gardener who mows their lawn because if they don't, they will get evicted from the house, right? So their, their gardening is driven by duty, <laughs> self-preservation, really, let's be honest. Um, are there any, any like duty-driven gardeners out there? No, no, you, you all love gardening. Oh, there's a couple. Yeah. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. And those that were too scared to put up their hands. There is a set, did you know this? For you, for you guys that just put up your hands, there is a second type of gardener. Did you know this? My wife is one of them. She is the second type, right? She loves gardening. Do you know that was a thing? You can love it. It can bring you joy. It is for her so compulsive. Flowers make her happy, so she spends her time cultivating flowers, right? It's just, she, you can't stop her from gardening. Again, some of you are like, this makes no sense. I don't understand this. Go talk to her, right? She, seriously, at our home, she squirrels, squirrels away dollars and cents to save up money for plants, like an eight-year-old saving up for Pokemon cards. Um, is, that, is that still happening? Is that still a thing? I'm not sure if it is. Point is, what ultimately we love most will, will drive our lives, it will shape our lives. And so, if we want to live rightly, we need to love rightly. If we, need, if we want to live rightly, we also need to love rightly. In our text today, God is calling us to firstly receive his love, see it, bask in it, expose ourselves to it, receive it, be shaped by it, so that our lives become then propelled and fueled by it. So today we are in one verse. Uh, this verse, we're just doing one, one week on this one verse because it's such, it's a, this verse is, the, is a paradigm for the entire Christian life. It's one of the best summaries of the Christian life in the entire Bible, clearly, succinctly put. Let's look at it again. I'm using the CSB today. The ESV um, is great, but it had one or two translation things. Um, CSB is a little bit better, I think, in this one. Take it or leave it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true 
worship or your rational worship or your spiritual worship. That word gets translated so many different ways. So this, this verse is actually, it's the, um, it's the pivot point of the entire book of Romans. In fact, I think you could go a step further and say that first word, therefore, it's like the hinge on which the entire book of Romans swings on that one word, therefore. Uh, in fact, you could say that that word is so big, so significant, so pivotal in the, in the book of Romans that the therefore, you might as well call it a there five, right? It's huge. It's so massive. Pause for laughter. <laughs> Whenever you see the word therefore, or there five in this case, in your Bible, there is a question you have to ask yourself. What is the therefore, therefore? You can go a step further and say, wherefore is the therefore, therefore? So wherefore is, the, why, what's it doing there? What's it talk, what, like that word is talking about something. Paul in this case is saying, hey, in light of 11 chapters of dense theology that we've been doing over at our church, 34 sermons, right? Um, that's how long it's taken us to get here. In light of everything that we've said about who Jesus is, about who we are, about the problem of sin and the grace of God in Christ, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Those first 11 chapters are chock full of some of the most profound, dense, deep theology. You guys know. You, we've, we've, you guys that have been here from day one, right? And Paul's saying, in light of all of this deep theology we've been laying out and diving into, here is how you have to respond. This is the call of God to respond right now. In this moment, this is how we respond to this grace we have seen. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. So I'm just going to spend the... Yeah, there you go. There's the hinge, right? Therefore, it's, it's the hinge. Um, so what exactly... How, how can we summarize 1 to 11... What, what is the therefore, therefore? What have we been doing all, over all this time? If you want to know the big answer, again, we have 34 weeks of content on, on chapters 1 to 11. You can go find them if you want to. Let me do instead, for brevity's sake, trace one thread through Romans 1 to 11 through the classic Romans road. Those of you who... who um, I've been around church for a while. You might have heard of the Romans Road. It's a classic teaching tool to kind of make sense of the key core gospel message in the Bible. And it's just a, a series of verses laid out through Romans. It is the message of free grace for underserving sinners through Christ Jesus. This is my slightly abridged version um, today. So firstly, the first step of the Romans Road, and we'll have all the uh, verses up here so you can follow along with us. The first three chapters of Romans, <laughs> do you remember them, for those of you that were here? We spent week after week after week of Romans showing us in different ways, making an argument as to the fact that sin is universal and we're all under its curse. We spent three weeks looking at how human beings, we have all, every human being has strayed from God. We've come underneath his justice. We're on the wrong side of his justice. And culminates in this verse here, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the summary verse of the first three chapters. We're, there's the universality of sin. Every human being by nature and choice has failed to honor God as we should and we come underneath the curse of sin and we are separated, therefore, 
from God by sin. That was the first three chapters of Romans. The next step on the Romans grade will take us, jump us to uh, Romans 6, where we see the consequences of sin laid out with terrible clarity. And Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Right? Sowing sin reaps us death. There's no other way. The consequences for sin are death. So this is what's at stake, right? Our sin is going to lead us into the grave. What we're going to reap from our sin is death. It's the natural way of the world. But also we are individually morally culpable to our creator for our decisions, for what we do with our lives. The wages of sin is death. The next step on the Romans road will take us through to the gospel. We spent a lot of time in the gospel this year, haven't we, in Romans? For the wages of sin is death, but the second half of that verse says what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. God shows us, goes, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, before we made any efforts to try and better ourselves, while we were stuck in our sin, Jesus went to the cross to rescue us, to redeem us out from our sin by pl- dying in our place and for our sin. He took that initiative. He came to get us when we needed him. And this is at the heart of the Christian faith. This is the gospel, that Christ died for our sin and that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ, only through Christ, only through the atoning substitutionary death. This is the heart of the faith. The next step in the Romans road is to ask the question, what do we do with that? What's our part? Okay, so we've heard God's part. He came to get us. He died for us to rescue us from our sin. The fourth step on the Romans road is answering the question, what's our part to play? And again, we see with wonderful clarity these verses from chapter 10. We did these not too long ago. Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love these verses in the Bible because they are wonderfully clear, aren't they? There's there's little doubt left what our part is to play. We simply receive. We simply believe. It is the step of faith that we are called to. And so the promise of the gospel is that when we receive the, the, the hand of friendship from God and receive the gospel through faith, we receive forgiveness of sin. As far as, as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, so far does he remove our sin from us. That's the promise of the gospel. Through faith, we have our sin removed from us. We get to live free lives. There is no act of a great self-sacrifice or ritual that earns us this great gift that we need to kind of like perform to show God that we're serious this time. In fact, the Bible's going to make it clear it's actually blasphemous to try because it cheapens the cross when we do that, right? It's going to cheapen the cross if you think that 
by some kind of great act of self-sacrifice, you're going to earn his grace. No, grace is to be received with empty hands. We don't bring anything to the table. A humble heart, faith, in faith that we receive his blessing. What's the final step on the Romans road? It's the blessings. What happens when we step into that grace, when we step underneath the waterfall of God's grace, and we become saturated with it, and we become new people. What happens in that moment? Well, chapter 5, verse 1 will tell us, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? No, no time. Therefore, since we have been justified or made righteous, declared righteous by God, since we've been justified, not by our good works, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Romans 8.1. See if you guys remember the Romans 8 verse 1 rule. It's been a while. Therefore, no, there is therefore, what's it there for? No time. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. amen. Cool. About a year ago when we did that verse, the rule was every time someone said they had to amen it, and you guys remembered. So good. There is therefore no condemnation. Our shame is removed. We have peace with God. There is no condemnation. We're free. Free from the consequences of sin. And then finally, I haven't got it up here, but we end with this in Romans, at the end of Romans 8. Paul just reveling in the goodness of God and the love of God. He says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave, us up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave us Christ, he's not going to hold back ever, right? We're in. We're in his family now. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You know that God right now, Jesus right now, is interceding for his saints. He's praying on their behalf. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the blessing of the gospel. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing, nothing present, nothing in the future. There's nothing in the pipeline coming towards us that has the power to separate us from the love of God. So this is, this is the gospel, right? This is the gospel. This is what we've been hearing over the last 35 weeks or however long we've been doing this, right? This is the gospel. This is the mercy of God given to us. Nothing can separate us from, from his love. Gospel is good news for all of us. We all need good news. And the gospel is good news for all of us who feel like we have disqualified ourselves from the grace of God. The gospel is good news for all of us who are weak, who are sinners and sufferers, who know that we can't measure up and know we're out of second chances. God comes, 
He sends Christ to intervene into our mess and gives us exactly what we need before we can even ask him for it. He calls us to receive it by faith. Receive the gift of grace. So, this heart, this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is the center of the gospel. This Roman road helps us see it. We are promised adoption into the family of God. We're promised Holy Spirit that he might come and dwell within us and lead us in our lives into paths of righteousness. This is the heart of the faith, and it is awesome. It is beautiful. It is glorious. It's the message of redemption, of forgiveness, and of new life in the name of Jesus. And really, guys, this is what it means to become a Christian, right? This is literally what it means to become a Christian, receiving this grace for yourself, right? That's what we're going to be celebrating on September 11 when we have three baptisms. We're going to be celebrating lives that have come to receive God's grace. And maybe you're here and you're yet to receive that for yourself. And I want to encourage you. It's for you. You can have this. You can receive God's grace today in this very way. What Romans 12, 1 is talking about, though, is what happens when we do that. Like, where does this step of faith take us? What does the life of faith look like on the ground in real time? Okay? What happens when we take the step of faith and say yes to Jesus and receive his grace? We're going to see it in this verse. Paul says, therefore, or there five, in view of the mercies of God, right? In view of the mercies of, in view of this gospel foundation that sets us free from our sin and gives us a new future, in view of his love that knows no end because it had no beginning, in view of this love that nothing can separate us from, because of all this, present yourself as a living sacrifice to him, holy, pleasing to God, for this is your true worship. I'm going to pull out two sides of the coin here to look at. Uh, two applications are going to be up on the board for you, up on the screen. Firstly, Christian living, it's driven by the mercy of God. It's driven by the gospel. Secondly, Christian worship means a continual laying down of your life. Continual laying down of your life. So firstly, Christian living is driven by the mercy of the gospel. Uh, mercy of God, I should say. Going back to what Augustine said, if he's right and our lives are driven by our loves, then the answer, the solution, cannot be just to try harder. Right? Gritting our teeth, putting our heads down, and getting serious this time about holy living can't be the answer if we're driven by our loves. Right? People try it. <laughs> they think it's pleasing to God. And they find, firstly, it's exhausting because they're running on fumes. The motivation isn't right. And secondly, it cuts against the gospel of grace. It cuts against the gospel of grace. Christianity is not simple moralism, which just says, look, just try harder. You know the right things to do. Just go do them, right? That's what moralism says. You know the rules. Stick to the rules, right? You want to be accepted? Just obey them. That's, isn't it? It's not complicated, right? Just do the right thing and God will accept you, right? That is not the gospel. And when we try to do that and we fail, we lose hope. That, that way leads to death, right? We will end up self-condemned, self-condemning ourselves. 
So following Jesus takes more than a decision of the will. It takes a decision of the will. Of course it does. It's going to take more than that, isn't it? We need a transformed heart. We need new love. How do we get that if not by just deciding to have that? Friends, the only way that our hearts will change is as we gaze upon our Savior and what he has done for us. As we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, our hearts will only change as we gaze at our Savior. Only his love can fully and deeply change us. We need a new love, and it comes from him. We can't will that. We can ask for it, though. Paul Tripp says it like this. He says, only the love of Christ, not only love for Christ, has the power to incapacitate the sturdy love of self that is the pain of every sinner. And only the grace of Christ has the power to produce that love. Only the love for Christ has the power to incapacitate the sturdy love for self that is the bane of every sinner. And only the grace of Christ has the power to produce that love. We need a miracle. We need that miracle. Only the grace of God has that power. And so our part to play is to look to him, right? Fix our eyes upon him. Get our eyes up off ourselves and and see his grace for us. See our Savior on that cross. We just sung about it, didn't we? Isn't that song awesome? Behold the wondrous cross. Behold your Savior dying for you so that you might be welcomed into his family and receive new life. This is, this is why we obey God, right? Our life is now driven by gratitude. We obey because he has loved us. We love because he loved us first. That's what John says. The gospel comes first. Our response comes second, right? Our, our obedience comes second. His grace comes first. Our following him comes second. Following him without that will not work. It's an insufficient motive. We need to see the mercy of God, to receive the mercy of God, and by a new heart, by a new love, follow him and lay down our lives for him, right? In view of, so this is the pattern, right? In view of the mercies of God, present yourselves. In view of the mercies of God, lay down your life. In view of the mercies of God, follow him. And so today, maybe we need to make up our minds to resolve that we're going to follow him no matter what, in view of his mercies, right? If he, if he says, jump, we're asking how high, not should I jump today, right? We need to resolve today to follow him into this in view of the mercies of God. This is the second part we're going to look at, the other side of that coin. What does it look like to worship him? What is worship? What does it live to look, live your life fueled by the love of God? And he tells us, looks like a continual laying down of your lives, all of our lives. In view of the mercies of God, present your, your bodies. This isn't just esoteric kind of like conceptual worship. No, no, we, we worship with our flesh and blood, with our, with our lives, with everything, with ourselves. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Okay, so the, the idea of sacrifice, for us, we probably think maybe, maybe like kind of the Anzac tradition, kind of you know, sacrificing for your friends kind of thing. First, first century Rome, Jewish Romans, they think temple, right? They think a lamb at the altar. So when Paul says, 
present yourself as a living sacrifice. He's, Paul's drawing on that Old Testament temple imagery. Because for the Jew, worship meant physically bringing a sacrifice into the altar, into the temple, to be killed and burnt on your behalf, right? That was worship. Yes, there was a spiritual element to it, of course, but it was different. Can I just, quick sidebar, because I just want to make one thing clear here. In the Old Testament, there are different kinds of sacrifices, okay? Multiple different types. For example, one of them was, was a sin offering, an offering because of sin, an atoning, of, uh, an atoning sacrifice, right? Um, that is not what Paul is calling us to here. Jesus is our sacrifice, correct? He is our one and only sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 12 says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, right? One sacrifice for all time. So Hebrews, there, he's, Hebrews is saying, the altar is closed. God is no longer taking sacrifices for sin. Don't bother trying, right? Jesus, once and for all, became our eternal, our eternal, our atoning sacrifice. When we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice here, we're not talking about an act of atonement for sin. Right? This is an act of thanksgiving. Different types of sacrifices. This is a thanksgiving offering, okay? Sidebar over. Jesus is a sacrifice. Paul is drawing a straight line between your gratitude for what you've received in God and your obedience. One must lead to the other, right? One must lead to the other. Gratitude must overflow into worship and obedience, sacrifice, and surrender. Just think about the differences we're kind of picking up on as we think about that Old Testament sacrifice picture, the difference between us and them. For them, worship meant physically taking an animal to church to sacrifice it, right? It, it's a visceral experience. A bit more, bit more blood and squealing on the stage. Um, certainly no pews and air conditioning, right? It's a, it's a different experience that we're used to. Uh, it also means that going to church cost you something, right? You brought your sacrifice to church. Afterwards, you would go home until next time. This verse is calling us to present our very bodies as the sacrifice. Our very bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This means all of our lives. Think about, think about what this means and the difference this is making, right? I no longer bring things to God. I bring myself to God. And if I'm bringing myself, he's bringing... He's got my things too, right? Do you see that? I'm bringing myself, not just my stuff. This is a call to lay down our very selves at the altar. Our very lives, our very, everything we have in complete surrender to him. It's, it's handing him a blank check. I'm yours now. I will do as you will. I am the sacrifice. I am yours. And I'm willing to obey you in every area of life. This is a call to live every single day upon that altar, every day on that altar. We get back on it every morning as we rededicate ourselves to him. It's, it's the knowledge that, you know what, we're not, I'm not my own anymore. We said it at the, in, the, in the catechism. 
What is, what is our comfort in, every, in life and death? That I am not my own. I belong, body and soul, to my Savior. I belong to him. Now, that is massive. Can we agree? That is a big call. That is hard for us to hear. Let's not pretend like this is an easy thing, especially, I think, in 2022, in our culture of radical individualism, where we're all taught that we're the center of the universe. Just think about how at odds that is with the message we're hearing today. Jesus calls us to nothing less than total self-abandonment as our worship, as our true worship. We give him everything. Nothing can be held back if we are his followers. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, you're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have a right to live as you choose. Where we come with a list of conditions about what he can and can't touch, it shows that we're not receiving his grace. Tim Keller goes on to point out, you know what, we've never been in a, we're in a culture unlike any in history. Our culture today is so averse to the heart of what this is calling us to, self-abandonment. There's never been a culture as averse to that call as we are living in right now. So this is hard for us, but this is what it is to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The blood of Christ has bought you out from under sin, so you now do not belong to yourself. So we've got to put to death our sense of rights, our sense of self-importance, our sense of pride, our rights to our own destiny. We're to put to death the idea that we know best. We're going to put to death the idea that you are your own king, you are your own queen, and you call the shots. We're going to lay that down. At the cross. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. I think it, it almost feels dangerous, kind of giving God that much power over us. What, what if he calls us to something hard? <laughs> this is what we've got to remember in view of the mercies of God. Remember who we're talking about here. This is our Savior. He came to get us. He has died for us. If he, if he has loved us so well, I think we can trust him with our future. And so we come to him and we say, I trust you. I trust you. You know best. My life now is forfeit to you for your ends. My money is forfeit to you for your ends. If I'm getting on that, if I'm climbing on that altar, I'm bringing everything with me, right? Otherwise, I'm not getting on the altar. My time is yours for your ends. My hopes for my future, they're actually yours for your ends. That can feel like the call to die, and it is. Jesus calls us to lay down our life because then we find it. But when we hold on to this life, we're going to lose it. There is a wonderful freedom that comes in giving ourselves to him fully and completely. There's a wonderful freedom that comes here. So today we're going to finish with just asking the obvious question. What are you holding back? What are your terms and conditions for following Jesus? Does he have the right to disagree with you? Does he have the right to override you? Is he allowed to? 
If not, you're not worshiping Jesus. Today, maybe for you, in, the, in view of the mercies of God, you need to rededicate yourself to following him by climbing back on that altar. You need to, talk, you need to do some business with God and say, hey, I've been holding back. D.L. Moody pointed out this. He says, the problem with living sacrifices, they keep climbing off the altar. It's like, yeah, amen, I'm, just me, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's Christian living. We have to keep getting back on that altar as we re- when we realize we've climbed off it again. We just naturally go back to our own self-absorbed, self-obsessed, self-centered ways of thinking and living. Of course we do. It's natural. We need the miracle to change our love so that we follow him. So this is why, guys, this is why we need to keep our eyes fixed on his grace. This is why we need to fall in line with the rhythms of life he has called us to live in, by the way. He has called us to live in certain rhythms of grace by which we get ourselves underneath the waterfall of his grace. Okay? Church. Guys, that's what this is. God called us to assemble. He called us to assemble so that we can receive his grace weekly and be reminded by each other, not just the pastor on the stage, but by each other, who we are, who he is, and what we what we need from him, that we need him. Time in his word and in prayer. That's a rhythm of grace he's given us to hear this call daily. We need that. So maybe today there is an area of your life that remains unsubmitted to him. You might even know what it is. Today is the day we hop on that altar again and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for him. For others of us in the room, today might be different. Today might be the day for the first time you actually bring yourself to the foot of your cross, the cross yourself. You approach Jesus for the first time. You receive his grace for the first time. You climb on that altar for the first time and you ask for his forgiveness in prayer. If that's you, this is what he says to you. I opened with this at the start of the service. Jesus says to us, come to me. That's the invitation. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. That yoke he's talking about, by the way, is the sacrifice. Take my yoke. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus does not crush us when we come to him. He receives us. He extends his hand. He is gentle. He is lowly. He does not crush us. He promises us rest for our souls. So today we're going to just finish by going to him together in prayer. I'm going to give you a minute or two just to pray where you are yourself, and then I'll close for us. And so let's go to him together. Let's go get that rest. Let's go pray, Lord, you have my life together. I'll give you a couple of minutes now.
Lord, today we confess again. I confess again that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. Mercies that are new every morning for us. Lord, that you do not hold our sin against us like a weapon to be wielded. But you cast them away for us, from us as far as the east is to the west. You remove them from us. You're not going to bring them up again. Well, in Romans 6, we're told that our sins are buried Our old self is buried in the ground. We don't need to go dig it up again. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the salvation you have given us, Lord, the new life, eternal life in your name. Not because of our goodness, because of your goodness. Lord, you are our Savior and our hero. Lord, and we pray that you would help us firstly live all of our life fueled by your love, by your mercy. Lord, that you would help us love like you love. Lord, that we would never think that we can put you in our debt by our obedience, even our radical obedience, Lord. Lord, it's blasphemous. (laughs) Cheapens the cross, Lord. Help us instead to remain empty-handed, humble of heart, thankful, full of gratitude for what it is you've done for us. Make us a more gratitude, grateful people, I pray. Help us follow you wherever you call us. Help us lay down our lives again afresh today, tomorrow and the next day, Lord. Help us to resolve in our hearts now to give you that blank check. Surrender ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it gives us a new kind of life. The good life, life with you, life free from our sin and our past. Lord, and a purpose as well in this world. Pray for your blessing on all of us this morning, Lord, as we, as we pray and wrestle, Lord, and, and um, seek to follow you again afresh. We pray all these things in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys.